And welcome to another edition of the Nosebleeds Podcast Trade Deadline Edition. Alongside our Mets beat reporter, Jimmy Sullivan. I'm Emmanuel Barbari covering the Yankees. And it's an interesting time for both teams for varying reasons, Jimmy. Because the Yankees come off another series win. One of the more wild series you'll see in Minnesota. The Mets take a series from the Padres, but the eyes are on July 31st and whether they'll sell and how much they can sell. For the Yankees, it's what they can add, so a lot to unpack today. And I think we start with that twin series, which was just phenomenal offense. I can't call it phenomenal baseball whatsoever no. because, uh, what, a thousand runs were scored? Uh, yeah, I think you were probably off by like 20 on that one, yeah. Right. It was like 980 or something. Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> uh, thanks for checking me on that. <laughs> But the Tuesday game, one of the crazier baseball games, and we were just talking about it before we started the podcast, if that was a playoff game, a World Series game, and of course the Yankees and the Twins wouldn't mean the World Series, but you get the idea. You put any two teams with that scenario going back and forth, a diving, game-saving catch, unbelievable by Aaron Hicks to end the game. The lead swings late. If that was in the postseason, you're comparing that with Astros-Dodgers a couple years ago. That was just a sensational display of theater. I don't even care about baseball. That was so awesome to watch for any baseball fan. You know, I'm not a fan of baseball with the... I mean, I'm a fan of baseball, obviously, but the juiced ball has affected things in the game over the last couple of years, and I'm not really a fan of it. But the other night, I mean, sometimes you get these games that are crazy, and usually it's a course field where it's like 14 to 12 or something like that. This was in Minnesota. Okay, Minnesota is has been one of the biggest pitchers' parks since that place What's opened. What's going on there? Right? I mean, there were guys... I remember when the Mets went there last week, and Jonathan Scope hit a home run to the opposite field in right, where right-handed hitters were not touching the deep porch in right field, and he just poked at it and it went out. It was crazy. There might be some like AC ventilation unit behind home plate that's like <laughs> playing a factor here, because this used to be one of the biggest pitcher's advantages for a ballpark in all of baseball. This is a stadium that killed Joe Maurer's power for the latter portion of his career. And that's not to say, like, Joe Maurer had a little bit of a regression. I'll, I'll, I'll say that, but that's beside the point. Plenty of hitters have come into Target Field, being their home stadium, and just not hit for power. And all of a sudden this year, whether it be the ball or whatever it may be, Glaber Torres in Game 3, the rubber game, hit a lazy fly ball to left field, and the ball just kept carrying. Yeah. Left the park. I, I don't I know mean, what's going I mean, unless Minnesota is just, like, that much hotter than it used to be over the summer. I mean, it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense. And it had me wondering, like, the Twins are going to be a playoff team this year. They may get caught in the division by the Indians, who are red hot, but they're going to be a playoff team. When it's 20, 15 degrees in the postseason, which is what it is in Minnesota, it gets very cold there that time of year, will this turn back into the park it is? It, it might, and and the thing is too, because Minnesota, they were talking, they were thinking about building a dome when they closed the Homer Dome and then they moved into Target Field, and they were thinking about building a dome. And there's no reason not to build a dome because it snows until May in Minnesota. <laughs> it's like Colorado; it's absurd. It you can't. It's very difficult to pin the Twins down and make sure they can play all their games in April. I'm surprised there hasn't been more of like backlash from that not happening. Like the Twins haven't had more games snowed out or whatnot. They haven't made the playoffs a lot, or when they have, like, they've gotten bounced in the wild card game, for instance, by the Yankees. But <laughs> there we see, like, a snow out in October or oh. something like that. Something crazy that just underscores the fact that why are they playing outdoors? But it, July certainly isn't an issue, and the Twins have a fearful lineup. They showed they're for real. They are a few arms away, certainly, but 
they're a team that's going to be dangerous come October just because we're going to see a lot of home runs in October this year. There are very powerful lineups throughout baseball. Twins are right up there. They are. I think of the Twins as kind of similar to the Yankees, honestly. Big boppers in the middle of the lineup. For the Twins, it's guys like Cruz, you know, Miguel Sano. You know, for the Yankees, you're looking at guys like Encarnacion and Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton when he's healthy. And they're kind of similar teams where they both need some help pitching. The Twins need a lot of help in the bullpen. The Yankees really don't. Um, both teams could use another starter or two. But it was it was a fun matchup. Like, these were three games that were all really tight, really good, high scoring. I checked on the number, by the way, 57 runs between the three games. We were so. close. <laughs> <laughs> you average that out. What is that? That's 19 runs a game. Right. Even. So that's close enough to 980. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But this is, I mean, this is the way baseball's gone. It's power. It's power pitching. It's kind of just power everything. And that's what these two teams have been able to do. And they hit a bunch of combined home runs. Didi Gregorius was 5 for 5 with 7 RBI the he other night. He comes alive. He's a guy who comes alive for you. I mean, that guy's a major X factor in your lineup. This is a guy who two years ago in October hit three of the biggest home runs that postseason. Player. The one against Minnesota and then the two against Kluber, against Cle- Kluber in Cleveland game in Game 5. Yeah, so this is a guy who is kind of an ace in the hole in this lineup hitting towards the bottom, but he's a guy who's produced in the playoffs. So great to see him going. And then obviously you got guys like Hicks and Judge near the top of the lineup who have been spectacular and oh by the way about a month ago you just randomly trade for the al home run leader at <laughs> randomly. the time uh, just casual yes yeah just yeah we're, this is we want this guy let's go get him so, and a guy like yeah, dd normally it takes you 100 at bats or so to come back from an injury like tommy john surgery get your rhythm he's right past that threshold so he was bound to break out he's a guy who while he's a sturdy x factor in that lineup a very clutch player a fabric type player for the yankees he is a little bit streaky so when he gets hot, watch out. And then like a guy like Hicks, throughout his Yankee career, extremely streaky. Sometimes he just decides, I'm the best center fielder in the league. Mike Trout excluded. <laughs> and sometimes he decides, you know, I'm going to revert to the Aaron Hicks who no one wanted before the Yankees traded for him. So this is one of those stretches where Hicks is just proving how valuable of a baseball player he is. Offensively, defensively, the power what a series for both Didi and Hicks. That was really the storyline in Minnesota. And I wanted to bring this up, too. Hicks against his former team in the Twins, who five years ago they traded him away, and John Ryan Murphy went over to the Twins at the time. What a good deal. That was a great deal. I think it was actually three years ago. <laughs> actually, five Murphy years ago. Murphy was yeah. now in Arizona. Murphy actually got DFA'd the other day. Uh, yeah, oh, he yeah. did. He did. Uh, finally. Uh, but, what yeah, a deal. That's just a wild deal. Uh, that's a Brian Cashman deal. Over the past three years, some of these deals that he's made, man, like, just perfect. That's why I'm curious to see what he does at the trade deadline, because everybody's trying to telegraph this, and I just don't think you could do it. Now, on the flip side for the Yankees, and they deserve a lot of praise for this series, this time around the rotation oh. has been awful, and this has proven that they need at least one more at least. starter. I mean, they don't need it, need it, because they obviously got by with it like the last few games. That's not sustainable, though. It's not sustainable, and they, they need another starter because everybody else is going to upgrade, and they need two, too. Like, it was fun to watch, but the Yankees came out of the All-Star break with, like, five really good starts, and there was a good turn through the rotation, and right after the fifth game, I believe it was Boone who said, you know, I'm comfortable riding with the guys we have. They always give us a shot to win, which I agree with, given that they're 31 games over 500. They have gotten a chance to win more than they've been completely thrown out of a game because of their starting rotation. But I think that's a little bit more of a testament to their lineup and the fact that they're never out of a game. So the Yankees, with these three starts, Herman on Tuesday, brutal. Hap didn't stand a chance. And CC 
Hard contact is just a theme with CeCe late in his career uh, in some of these starts, and he's a scary guy to put on the mound in a big game. Oh, I, I don't think you can run him out there. I don't think to so. start a playoff game, not anymore. Especially after last year, where the leash was a little too long from Aaron Boone, and he gets hit around by the Red Sox in an elimination game, no less. So I can't see that this year. Three starts that were just awful against a potential playoff team. Yankees got to add. So let's get into the trade deadline scope of things. And we'll tie it into the Mets a little bit later on because the Mets are known sellers. It's just a matter of to which extent they go. The Yankees ahead of the deadline, you're looking at a starter. They were rumored to say maybe a reliever that they could add as well. You're not worried about the Yankee bullpen for a couple reasons. Number one, you have Canely, Adovino, Britton, Chapman, which are four of the better relievers in baseball, and they've been that way for the entire season as that bridge. A second reason, Chad Green has become Chad Green again. So that now you're five deep there. And if you don't use Chad Green as an opener, he becomes one of those guys. And you have kind of that glue guy like Nestor Cortez, who's just fun to watch pitch. He's been something else. He's been been really good. It it picks up three and a third innings again. He's that crafty lefty, alters his arm angles. He he just finds a way to get it done. Do you think they could put him on the playoff roster? Because I'm starting to think about it. It might be a possibility, right? It might be possible. And... You know, it's funny to consider him in kind of a playoff setting, but if a guy's been so good for you all year... I, you can't go away from it. You can't go away from it. The only scenario I could see him not having those type of leverage roles in the playoffs is, let's say Severino comes back and serves his role. Like him being the middle innings guy after an opener. I think that would be lethal for the Yankees if they could go green into Severino and the opposing lineup never faces Severino two times and then they go immediately to the back end. Like, that will be a tough matchup to face. But I could see Cortez getting those innings, too. If you told me the Yankees ran out the green Cortez in a playoff game, I wouldn't be surprised. No, and I think you'd be happy with that. And, and look, the, part of the reason I think why they need to add another starter is because, yes, we talk about the way baseball is going in a series like this where both teams average like 10 runs per game, but there are going to be two to one, three to two games in the Correct. playoffs when it, the air is colder and the ball's not flying as much as it is right now in the dog days of summer. So you look at what happened last year where Severino goes out there in game three, gets shelled in like the third inning and the game's over. As CC Sabathia, kind of the same thing. It wasn't as much out of reach, but the Yankees were fighting uphill all night. And you're going to face some really good pitching in the playoffs too, depending on who you play. I mean, you face the Astros, you're facing at least Verlander, Cole, and whoever they get at the deadline because they're getting at least one more starter. So you look around at the market, a guy like Marcus Stroman, who, by the way, is having a terrific year, even like peripheral-wise. He's, he's got a three, under three ERA. Peripherals are not much worse on him. He's been tremendous. I think that's a guy that realistically you should probably try to go out and get another year of control so you'll have him next year. He's just the type of guy who I, I think he's the type of guy who really succeeds in New York, too. He's got a swagger. He's got, he's got a big game mentality. Big game mentality. He was pretty good in the playoffs the couple of years they were in it with the Blue Jays. He's never gotten – we were talking about this before the show. You brought it up. He's never gotten shelled in a playoff game. The numbers are like 4-1-5 ERA or something in the playoffs. It's not great. But, but you'll, honestly, you'll probably take that. As uh, For the Yankees, you would. Oh, yeah. And, again, like it's funny we're talking about it this way, but if you don't get shelled in a playoff setting – that's what the Yankees need. Like, they need guys who can go out there and log quality starts. With their offense, they can do that. Last year, there were guys who legitimately did not give them a chance to win. CeCe didn't give them a chance to win. Severino didn't either. So, the, we're, we're not talking about giving seven innings of one run ball. We're talking about six innings of three run ball. 
and the Yankees could realistically be in the game, and the Yankees not being out of any game this year with with that uh, relentless lineup could easily surmount any sort of deficit. The the perfect example I think was last week. They took three or four from the Rays, basically eliminated the Rays from that division race, and the game against Charlie Morton. The Yankees were down one nothing the entire game. They finally broke through, string of hits, a Luke Voigt homer, and then Didi with a huge single in the sixth inning, I believe it was. You need to be able to maintain those games. Like you need to be able to be in a one nothing game in the playoffs and hang around for the offense to eventually break through. Well, even just get get me through four or five innings. I mean, that's really the main yeah. thing because <laughs> the way the bullpen is, and, and I've heard people talk about adding a bullpen piece. If they can do that, fine, but I don't think it's priority with the way that bullpen is. I mean, I'm not Chapman, sleep. <laughs> Chapman was brutal the other night, don't get me wrong, and they've had some guys who have been up and down a little bit, but I don't think that's a priority with how many good arms you have down there. You just figure if enough of them are clicking at the same time, you're probably fine. And the Yankee fan is so concerned with these specific outings because they're so used to guys throwing up zeros where like, when Britain comes in and walks three guys, it's like, oh my God, he always does this. It's the end right? of the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or Chapman blows a save, it, it, it's overreacted on. But that bridge has been so effective all year. You mentioned a guy like Green. A, a guy like Cortez has been so good. It's kind of like a wild card type piece. If they add a reliever, fine. If they don't, I'm not losing sleep over it. And if Batances gets back, and he threw from 90 feet today, so he's on that track, that's just another arm. It, it, the most interesting thing would be to see how they use him because Batances not having pitched the whole year, you're not going to throw him right into the eighth inning. But that's another arm. That's like a move. So I'm not worried about the bullpen, but I am worried about the starting rotation. I think people are vastly underrating Marcus Stroman. Bumgarner not being available somehow because the Giants just went on a crazy run <laughs> that has them believing they're within a fighting chance of making the playoffs. Scherzer was out of the equation months ago. That was just a forced narrative, in my opinion. Stroman could be the guy. 2.96 ERA in an AL East division that's very potent. And then you're looking at Major League Baseball all throughout the league. Home runs are vastly up. The ground ball rate's phenomenal. So I like Stroman on the Yankees. I don't know why people are so low on him. Now let me ask you this, and we're going to talk about Mets later, but I saw a report that the Mets, in exchange for Syndergaard, have been asking about Davey Garcia and other and or like a top-level prospect. So at what rate are you willing to give up guys in order to get a Stroman or a Trevor Bauer or even a Noah Syndergaard, which I don't think is going to happen because of that whole embargo thing that the Mets have with the Yankees? <laughs> I think it depends on the control, okay. because if you're getting a controllable pitcher like Stroman, I'm fine with giving up a Davey Garcia. He's very high up the list of guys you want to keep on the Yankees for this upcoming year. Now, you mentioned with the Mets for Syndergaard. I don't think that move's ever happening, where the Yankees and Mets are trading with each other, especially given the fact that the Mets need like 30% more the best than the best offer to get that done. We know it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's never insane. happening. So, Davey Garcia is a guy I would part with. Clint Frazier's a guy I would part with for Marcus Stroman. But if you're asking for the world, like anyone, I, I hear all these callers on sports radio saying Glaber Torres. Like, that's an untouchable. <laughs> well, Francesca the other day said, like, Glaber and Davey Garcia, and he was like, yeah, you could give up. And I was like, I don't know. I don't think they yeah. would do that. And he was playing the Mets standpoint. Yeah. So if you're of the, course it, for the Mets, yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. If you're the Mets and you're trading a Syndergaard to the Yankees, you're going to say Glaber Torres or nothing, or the deal's done. But for the Yankees, he's actually one of those untouchables you're just not giving up. So I'm fine with a Garcia. I'm fine with a Clint Frazier. I'm fine with an Estevan Florial. Maybe not all in the same deal, but we know Brian Cashman has a tendency to kind of shine up his prospects in these deals. We've seen with some of his past moves. 
So I I see him getting a, a, a favorable deal in, in terms of not giving up too many frontline talents in order to get a Stroman or someone like that. I can see Frazier headlining a Stroman deal. Blue Jays seem to like Frazier, and they've been calling the Yankees on some of their prospects. Yeah, and the funny thing is, too, I think the one thing that's greater than the Yankee farm system is the Yankee hype machine. So Brian Cashman <laughs> can hype up a Justice Sheffield and convince the Mariners that in exchange for Seattle's ace last year in James Paxton, you could take as the centerpiece of that deal Justice Sheffield. And what has Justice Sheffield done this year? Nothing. He's been terrible. He's demoted to double A. Yeah. Six eight four ERA with Seattle. So if Paxton wasn't the inconsistent machine that he is right now, that could be one of the worst moves you're looking at this offseason. Uh, yeah. Like, that was a straight-up Sheffield for Paxton. So Cashman has a tendency of getting these moves done. It's just a matter of who. Uh, like, we're saying Stroman right now. I have no idea who the Yankees are going to go and get. Well, they could also pull out, like, uh, I'll just throw an example, Matt, Matthew Boyd, right? They have not been linked to Matthew Boyd really at all. Not a lot of teams have. I wouldn't be surprised if we wake up tomorrow and a guy like that is on the Yankees that we have not heard anything about. And then Brian Cashman just swoops in and says, oh, by the way, two prospects for so-and-so. Well, guess who the Tigers asked for in that deal? Who? Glaber Torres. Yeah, no. Yeah, so uh, cross <laughs> that one off until they become a little bit more reasonable. Robbie Ray, perhaps? Robbie Ray, I like Robbie Ray a lot. Always had a high strikeout rate, always had great stuff, has a great fastball, just has never quite put it together. But I think with a, a good coaching staff, the right support system around him, I think that's a guy who could be really good. He's going to, if he gets traded to somebody, he's going to help somebody because he's the type of guy that's always had the stuff. It's just a matter of the command and he gives up too much hard contact. But if he goes to the right place, he could really help them because he's a guy I've always been really high. And I think I've drafted him in fantasy like each of the last four years. <laughs> Another so that's guy who scouted too. similar is Mike Miner of the Rangers, who's having a very good year. And the Rangers, in the span of two weeks, is completely opposite to the Giants, who have fooled themselves now that they're a playoff team. And they could be a playoff team, but a World Series contender for that matter. On the other hand, the Rangers have fallen out of the race in a matter of two weeks. And even when they were 10 games over 500, they they're like, we're trading Miner. We're trading pieces. They have Lance Lynn, too, but the Yankees aren't going back down that road. So Mike Miner could be a guy that the Yankees go after. They have been scouting him. So it, it could be any of these guys. That's the thing. Like There are no reports indicating the Yankees' interest level in Stroman is strong. None for the other pitchers as well. Sometimes you can read between the tea leaves. In this case, you can't. So Cashman's going to make a move. We know that. We just don't know what move it's going to be. And by the way, just quickly, because I did want to touch on this Giants point, that is the worst thing that could have happened to that team. Winning, I think it was 14 out of 17 at one point, because like you said, they fooled themselves into thinking. And you look in the in the National League, and the Diamondbacks president made a great point about this the other day, because they're around 500, and they asked him, are you guys going to be buyers or sellers? And he said, well, this is how I look at it. We could get a wild card. we got to play somebody and beat somebody maybe in their place in the wild card game. Then we got to go play the Dodgers. In a five-game division series, not going to be easy. And that's a guarantee because the Dodgers and, have the best record yeah, by like 10 games. by a mile. And then you got to go beat uh, the Cubs or maybe the Cardinals if they come back or the Braves in the NLCS. Again, not easy. There's so many steps for the, all these fringe teams that are trying to figure out, am I a buyer, am I a seller? And that's why I always lean on the side of seller because there's so many things that need to go right. Because you could say, oh, we can make a we can make a run to the playoffs. But that's not enough to sell me because you could just go to the wild card game, get whacked in one game, and then you're done. And, hey, I appreciate teams trying to be relevant because you see too much of that throughout baseball where teams just throw in the towel. And there are a lot of horrible teams in the American League, which speaks to the fact you're probably going to have three 100-win teams this year in the American League. But 
the Giants are almost making an emotional decision for the future of their franchise. Like, it's Bruce Bochy's last year. Fine. But they're saying we got to win with Bruce Bochy in our final year. It's a great run they're on, but it doesn't mean you can't trade Bumgarner. Especially maybe you could get a major league-ready arm in return for Bumgarner, plug him into that rotation, maybe still make a run. Bumgarner's been good this year. He hasn't been great. So it's not like you can't trade a guy who's a rental. Or you could trade a guy like Will Smith out of the bullpen who could net you an asset like that too. And I, I think part of it is Bochy's final season and they say, oh, okay, well, this is his last year and we're not going to make, we're not going to put him through this in the final two months. I don't just, like it. Yeah, but I, I lost a little respect for Farhan Zaidi. Not going to lie. I liked Farhan Zaidi a lot. Um, came from the Dodgers, super analytical mind, really bright guy. I wanted the Mets to talk to him, but that was never going to happen. <laughs> um, and then he takes the Giants' role, and I was like, okay, they're going to do this smart, and then they go on this tear, and he's like, oh, they're actually going to buy now. They, they said, like, yeah, we're, we're buyers now. And by the way, they're still not in one of the two wildcard spots in the National League, and the National League is hopelessly mediocre other than the Dodgers. I just, just just doesn't make sense to me. Um, Interesting but spot for the Giants. I'm not I'm not running the Giants, so I don't have to deal with all that. I do understand it though because it's kind of tough to explain that to the fan base when you've won that many games in a stretch, and then you're like, oh, by the way, we're selling. That that's that's a hard sell for your fans. Correct, especially a fan base that's seen three World Series this decade. It's tough to say something like that. And the Giants haven't had to sell this decade. They've had pretty much the same centerpieces. For the entire duration of this mini dynasty, which has since expired. But look, this decade has pretty much belonged to the Red Sox and the Giants. So the Giants, it's a tough sell, just like it was to... It was easier for Yankee fans in 2016 because the team was hopelessly old and mediocre at that point. Where it was exciting to bring up a guy like Gary Sanchez and then Aaron Judge for later in the year. But with the Giants, if they're relevant, it's tough. It's not the sound move for the organization. I think we both agree on that. But it's a tough sell to the fan base, especially one that's seen so much winning. And, and they're not that dissimilar to the Yankees a couple years ago because they've got a guy who's older in Pablo Sandoval, a guy who's older in Evan Longoria. They had Hunter Pence last year. They let him go. He went to, to Texas. So it's not really that dissimilar. They've got older pieces who are – I think the main difference is that some of these older pieces are overperforming. Not Longoria, but Pablo Sandoval's having a pretty good year at the plate. Uh, Madison Bumgarner's having a decent year. I, I think he's a change of scenery away from being really good again, but now that they're not going to trade him and they're going to go all in, look, I mean, could you win a playoff game, like a wild card game? Sure. You're not going to win the division. You have no shot at that. You're like 20 games behind the Dodgers. You have to go win a division series probably against the Dodgers. I just don't get it because the odds of you doing anything meaningful in uh, you know, the playoffs beyond the wild card game it's not great unless you get on a really magical run. And don't get this wrong. I'm all on the Madison Bumgarner train. Marcus Stroman's a nice piece. I think he's the best fallback option there is from Bumgarner. I'm all on the train. The last four starts, one five five ERA. He's still 29. He has the postseason pedigree. I wanted the Yankees to go out and get the deal done. That is no longer in the equation. Every report is indicating the Giants are all but certain they are holding their chips at the deadline. So that's why I'm advocating for a guy like Stroman. Otherwise, I'd be saying get the deal done with Bumgarner right away because all the Yankees need right now is certainty. They need certainty that they can get through the postseason and get a guy who can give you quality starts in the postseason. I think Bumgarner's the only guy in the market 
that kind of gives you that sense of security. No one else on the market you could say, okay, I know he could fight through a postseason outing. Um, if he becomes available, and I don't think he will because of how his team is played, but where would you be at on the Yankees maybe trying to get a guy like Trevor Bauer, who's been on a contending team, pitched in the World Series, Obviously, the last time the Indians went really deep in the playoffs, he had the drone incident, and he you know, <laughs> had the, the bloody hand in the game against the Blue Jays. But where would you be at on a guy like him maybe coming in and trying to help you guys out? I'm in between because of the personality, but he's obviously an amazing talent. So I relate him to Stroman in that both of them are very social media active. They have very vibrant personalities. So while Stroman relishes the idea of pitching in a big market, and maybe Trevor Bauer does not, they're both great pitchers, and I trust their ability, and I also trust the fact that maybe it's a half-season scenario with Trevor Bauer, although he could have an extra year of control for the following year. I believe you can put him through arbitration again. So I value them about equally. Bauer has that electric stuff. He's pitching the postseason. So is Stroman. Again, the tier above is Bumgarner. Bumgarner's the guy who's been a top-five postseason pitcher of all time. He has carried a team through a World Series. I understand it was five years ago, but he's still been there. And he's still a good pitcher. He's on a really, really great run right now. And he's 29. I understand there are a lot of innings on his arm. But we're talking about half a season here. We're talking about a rental, a guy to just get you through the rest of this season. And he's the best option, plain and simple. He's just not available right now. I mean, Stroman, probably the best available option, uh, unless Bauer's available. And I don't think Bauer's going to be available either because the Indians are in the midst of a wild card race as well. Bauer, by the way, is arbitration eligible for next year. So it would be like like having a year and a half of control. You just got to figure out where the money's at in terms of next year because for the rest of this year, he is owed. My eyesight is not great. It looks like $13 Okay. Um, yeah, that interests that's me. That's manageable, and and also you brought up a good point too. So Troy Tulowitzki retired today, as we're filming this. Um, he's only making five hundred thousand, give or take. I haven't seen the exact details, but it's about half a million. That does not seem like much, but in trade negotiations, it is. That's an extra little bit of money that you could take on a contract to a team, and as opposed to saying we're going to take. Three million, you could say we're going to take three and a half, and for especially if you're trading with a team that's probably a little lower budget. If we're being honest, that could be a big deal. And those are the that teams the Yankees point. trade with. This is a very big Brian Cashman move. We could have heard this from Tulowitzki at any point this season. I don't think it's a coincidence. We're hearing it about five days before the trade deadline. I think five hundred thousand is in the Yankees' pocket right now, and it will be utilized in some way, shape, or form at the deadline. I don't think it's a coincidence. I was, I've been wondering for weeks where Troy Tulowitzki is. What's he doing? What's he eating for breakfast? You know, where what's he, what's he doing on a daily basis? And we just haven't heard from him. He hasn't been rehabbing nothing for for weeks. But now suddenly he's retired. So I think I think something will be done in terms of his salary. He, I was looking for him in the same places I was looking for Jacoby Ellsbury. Yeah. And Jed Lowry. And Jed Lowry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jed Lowry had to We've come We called up. it the witness protection program. <laughs> the guys we just don't hear from. So Tulowitzki was in that mold. But again, he retires. We're going to spend a couple minutes on that because what a very good career could have been an outstanding career. It shows how hard it is to take that next step towards Hall of Fame level because Tulowitzki just couldn't get out of his own way in terms of the injury bug. And he showed in spring training this year he can still perform. He's still a great talent. He just could not stay healthy. And this guy in his prime was an unbelievable player. Oh, he was a Hall of Fame talent putting up Hall of Fame numbers when he was healthy. Problem is, after a certain point in Colorado, that just was not nearly enough of the time. And it was really a shame because he. I put him in there with a guy like uh, Joe Maurer, 
where you look at it and you say, wow, what could have been? So I found this tweet from John Morosi of MLB Network and Fox. He tweeted out uh, when the news broke, Troy Tulowitzki's adjusted OPS, which takes Coors Field into consideration, so it sets all the parks equal, was higher than that of Derek Jeter, Robin Yount, and Cal Ripken. He was higher than all of them. So if he could have just stayed healthy, this is a first ballot Hall of Famer. This is one of the greatest shortstops of all time. And even with that, even with the injuries, one of the greatest talents of all time to play the shortstop position. Offensively, defensively, absolutely unbelievable. To see him in his prime, an absolute treat. The problem is he just could never stay healthy. His body betrayed him. But I heard from Aaron Boone today when Tulowitzki retired, and he said, you know, Tulo had a big role in setting the culture for with this Francesa, team. Yeah. Early in the season, spring training, they say he was great in the locker room. He was great with the younger guys, you know, teaching them, you know, how to play certain positions. And he was big with a lot of those guys, especially a guy like Glaber Torres. They said he really mentored Glaber. Um, so he was big in that locker room, and so that's a, that's a bit of a loss. But you really haven't had him since April. Doesn't so. surprise me that he had that big of an impact. Yeah, but he, the impact's been had, and and he's a guy that it'll be interesting to see. You know, if the Yankees win a World Series, say, you know, he's probably a guy who gets a ring because he would. you know he's Good a guy, for him. and he had a, an impact on this team, even though the on-field impact was negligible. Fans he really won't didn't see play, it that way. but yeah, but he yeah. was important. He was he was not nothing to this Yankees team. He was very important in spring training in the very early part of the season mentoring a lot of the younger guys he just could never stay healthy and that was kind of the story of his career and that's why I like the move look it was a gamble and you knew Tulowitzki was persistent you knew he wanted to be on the field and if it had panned out that's a very nice stopgap to Didi Gregorius what ended up happening is Didi got back before Tulo and once the calf setback happened you're like uh, this probably just isn't going to happen you didn't know whether he'd get released or retire this is the more uh, palatable move where Tulowitzki calls it quits. Um, but the the impact was had. And Glaber Torres, if there was an impact from Troy Tulowitzki, looked very good at shortstop, which was a position he needed to slide back into. So I believe Aaron Boone when he says that he was able to have his presence felt in spring training and a great career from Troy Tulowitzki. So one more thing to get to before we wrap the show, which is the Mets scheme of things here. <laughs> the reports coming today that they are – kind of adamant on trading Noah Syndergaard, which is a big change from what we've heard, really, when you think about it. Adamant on trading Syndergaard, they're actively shopping him, as opposed to a week ago when it was flipped. It was Wheeler, no Syndergaard. They were holding him. Wheeler's hurt, so his value somewhat diminished. He's pitching this week. Syndergaard could be the best pitcher on this market. And I'm not saying in terms of results this year. This guy's 26. He's been a top pitcher in baseball, and he has, what, two years of control beyond this? If the Mets played their cards right, they could get a massive, massive amount of value for Syndergaard. I think the issue is that this is probably not the way to do it because Noah Syndergaard's having the worst year of his career, at least ones that he's been fully healthy for. So his value, I would almost say, unless you get some idiot front office to be like, yeah, we'll give you whatever, probably at an all-time low. So I think the way to go about it for the Mets, keep him for the rest of the season. Let him pitch the last two months. If he pitches great, then you can sell everybody at the winter meetings on this is a frontline starter, throws 99, and he's gotten stuff figured out. He had a bad first half last year. He got it together. And you'll get a lot more value for him that way. Now, that's a bit of a roll of the dice, especially because you know you lose this half year of control and teams are going to be looking for starters, obviously. you know We talked about the Twins and the Yankees and some of these other teams as well. Um, but that's kind of a calculated gamble that you might want to take because this is a guy who, in the past, 
you know, he's been in the playoffs. He pitched in that wild card game against Madison Bumgarner, seven shutout innings, had a no hitter going into the sixth. He was tremendous in that game. So this is a guy who could really help you out. But the, the problem is that this is probably the least value you'll get for him right now because it's a rush. Everybody wants starters. Everybody is going to look for it. And the, the problem is that if teams know the Mets are desperate, and again, rookie GM, you know, uh, and relatively inexperienced front office, you might have issues getting the full value for Noah Syndergaard, and I think you'd probably be better served waiting to the offseason. I don't trust Brody. <laughs> no, I don't yeah, either. Yeah, I wouldn't trust him to make that deal correctly, but I think that value could almost fall into the Mets' lap, uh, per se, for Syndergaard. Everything you just mentioned is valid in terms of teams knowing Syndergaard could be a frontline starter and knowing that more so in the offseason if he had a great second half. But I think those are all things they know right now. And I think all it could take, almost like a bum garner, just in a different way, is a change of scenery. And that may never happen with the Mets, but it could happen elsewhere. And the Mets could get that value with teams just knowing, look, this guy's 26. He has electric stuff. He has been great. Let's get him. And we have the two years of control to turn him into what we know he can be. I think Syndergaard, as we both know, is far more valuable than Wheeler. And the Mets lost any value they would have had with Wheeler, with him getting hurt, and now not pitching and not showcasing himself. So I think there's an opportunity, if the Mets can get that value for Syndergaard, you could extend Wheeler maybe on a team-friendly deal right now with his value being low, and then still have a great quality starter in that rotation, a guy you know has great upside, get the value for Syndergaard, and your rotation isn't in that much worse of a state than it was beforehand. And this is where it gets super weird for me, too, because Zach Wheeler was the guy they were going to trade along with maybe Jason Vargas, but he was going to be the guy that got the most value because this is a guy we saw second half of last year had the second lowest ERA in the league. He was under two. Um, he His value got capped because of the injury. He had shoulder fatigue. The Mets put him on the IL. Um, it was more precautionary. Still could not have been timed any worse. Uh, he's going to come back Friday night. He's going to be on a pitch count. We'll see how that goes. Uh, and then depending on that, if he doesn't, I think if he doesn't completely screw it up, teams are going to be calling because that's a guy who, again, great stuff, could really help a team in a playoff race, but no control beyond this year. He's a free agent. No arbitration. He's just going to be in free he's agency. He's a rental. So he's a two-month rental. And I think this the other thing that changes this, too, is because the Mets could have just made sure Wheeler got back, had a few starts, and they could have, in the past, waited until – August 31st and had the waiver deadline. Now with it just being one deadline at July 31st, completely changes everything because every all the eggs are in the basket on this start for Wheeler because you got to make sure he's okay. You got to make sure his stuff is good. Teams don't want to get damaged goods basically, but his value is not nearly as much as it was two weeks ago. And then beyond Wheeler and beyond Syndergaard, there's really not a lot of appealing assets for teams. I mean, you're not going to get a lot for Todd Frazier. You're not going to get a lot for Jason Vargas. Even a guy like Wilson Ramos, I don't think you're going to get a ton for. You might get a little better value because teams could always use some hitting. But unless you're willing to get creative here and be a little bold, you're really not going to get a ton of value for guys that in the past probably would have netted a little more. But this close to the deadline, there are a lot of guys on this Mets roster that just aren't distinguishable, not special, and they're not going to really help teams that much. So a lot can change in the next week between Syndergaard and Wheeler and who gets dealt, who holds on, who the Mets value more as a guy they could keep. For you, Jimmy, from a Mets perspective, who are your untouchables? Uh, I mean, you got Alonzo already on the table. McNeil, those guys are here. Those guys are staying. DeGrom obviously isn't getting traded. Just signed him to the extension, and he's having a very, very great year now after a rough start. Is Conforto untouchable? 
I think, because he's probably he's a guy you can easily imagine being part of the future five years down the road. You can imagine that. Um, the guys, all the guys you mentioned are untouchables. You can't trade to ground because of the contract. Alonzo's probably going to be rookie of the year. Jeff McNeil has been the best average hitter in baseball since he came up a year ago this week. So you, you're obviously not going to trade him. Uh, I don't think you trade Rosario because he's 23 years old and he's starting to hit a little more as well. And he's a guy that they're, they've been thinking about trying in center field. Uh, second half of the season, which interests me. I want to see how that goes. Could be a disaster. Could be great. You never know. <laughs> With him, I these mean, are the things you could try, though. They should use yeah, the second half to so do that. Yeah, and he's so naturally gifted that I could easily see it working out. Uh, Brandon Nimmo, you got to remember, is probably going to come back next year. Mm. I mean, this is a guy, maybe a one-hit wonder last year. Who knows? But he's probably going to be back next year. Um, I think in in terms of other guys who are untouchables, there are not a lot. Um, they're, and they're not untouchables by choice. So, like, you can't trade Robinson Cano in that contract. You no. just can't. I mean, if it were up to you, maybe you would. But you really can't do that. But there aren't a ton They're of, listening on Diaz. They should listen on Diaz. I'm in favor of trading Diaz because if he keeps going along like this and he winds up being a bust, you know, the further you get away from 2018 and 58 saves and being the best closer in baseball, the less value you're going to get. And so a team like – the first team I thought of was the Dodgers. Like, they could use an Edwin Diaz – Right now, plug him in, eighth inning guy. And twins. If he's dominant, twins as well. Team that could really use an Edwin Diaz. So there are some teams that they could really kick the tires on Diaz, and they could get pretty good value for him because only last year he was the best closer in baseball. And you know what? If he goes to one of these teams and has like a one ERA and doesn't blow a save, whatever. Because he, even if he does that for the Mets, they're only that might be the difference between 78 and 80 wins. Right, so who cares? Again, rookie GM though, will he admit that that trade in the off season was an utter failure? That's what he's doing by trading Diaz, and then the fans start to play three degrees of separation. Okay, we traded Kellenic and Dunn, got rid of Bruce and Swarzak, got Cano and Diaz. Trade Diaz if you don't get a great return for Diaz, that looks brutal. Is Brody Van Wagenen more concerned with optic or the betterment of this franchise? And that's a problem for the Mets. Look at trading for the Yankees, for for example. They won't trade with the Yankees because they need to win the back page that day. The Mets would need to win the trade on the day of. These trades take a couple years to evolve. The Mets would need like a Glaber Torres to sell their fan base on, look, we beat the Yankees. It, it, Syndergaard isn't going to go to the Yankees and win them a title and it will be bad for us. They would need to win it the day of, and that's why it will never happen. Are the Mets really concerned with what's best for this franchise? That's what we're going to see in the next five days. Yeah, but Robinson Cano hit three home runs the other night. So. Right. <laughs> no. World Series bound. <laughs> yeah, World Series back on. But, no, yeah, it's a good point because, you know, the Yankees, among all the teams in the league, are up there among the teams that can give you the most assets. They've got a great farm system. They've got major league-ready guys. Uh, Clint Frazier's a guy you can plug in for the Mets as a starting corner outfielder tomorrow. You know, depending on how things go, I mean, that guy's got a good bat. You put him in left, he's fine defensively. The right field seemed to be the problem for him when he was with the Yankees. So you put him in left, it's fine. The Mets are clearly not averse to playing players outside their positions. I mean, Dom Smith was a train wreck in that Padres series in left. They played J.D. Davis in the series finale in left. Jeff McNeil's been playing right. Michael Conforto is not a center fielder by any means, but he's been playing center. So obviously defensive fit does not matter to the Mets, and they're really bad defensively. They're like the third worst team in the league defensively so that does not matter to them but yeah I mean you're right I mean this is a team that you know you've got a GM and Brody Van Wagenen who I think very much seems to care about what people say on the internet 
you know, what the fans say, what the media is saying. I think Mickey Calloway is more shielded from that. Calloway's not on social media. He's, I don't think he really follows that stuff. I think he just manages his team. Brody's cared about that Brody from day one. Brody has cared about that, whether it was sitting in, uh, with the seven line a couple of weeks ago at the Yankee game or, you know, just general Twitter activity or saying we're going to win now, come get us, blah, blah, blah. Very, very worried about public image, as is Mets ownership. I mean, they read the clippings, they read the newspaper articles all the time. And they really care about what people are saying. The problem is they always do it and just take it in the wrong direction. So they, they get negative headlines. They're like, oh, we need to do something. And then that's how you wind up trading two of your best prospects for a 37-year-old second baseman and a closer who year over year has never really been that consistent and now is having the worst year Like, of I his believe career. if they had swept the Subway Series this year, they'd be buyers right now. Oh, yeah. Like, they value that series a lot. Oh, that's like playoff games for them. Right. So we'll see. It's going to be an interesting week for the Mets, uh, what their ownership and front office is going to do. Whether it's a full sell or just a partial sell, I would put my money on partial sell because that's more of the Mets model. Yankees, you know they're getting a pitcher. The question is who. So we'll track that. Jimmy, it's been fun. It has been fun. It'll be interesting to see what the Mets do. One more thing just to add, I I do think they should look at trading Dominic Smith. This is a guy who can net you pretty good assets. You don't know how good he is, honestly. He might be great. He might be Yonder Alonso. So that's a guy that if you trade him to a team like the White Sox, they let him play first base. You get decent prospects back, one or two of them, and then you go from there. I think that's a guy who could really interest teams uh, at the deadline or w- whether that's at the deadline of the offseason. It'll be interesting to see. So that was just one more thought I wanted to get in there. So a week from today, August 1st, we will react to the trade deadline. So we'll have a trade deadline reaction edition of the Nosebleeds podcast coming for you. You can catch us every week, wfuvsports.org.